Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. A time for invocations and prayer. Because when you get right with the right gods, the veil between the worlds dissolves. And you become the spirit's human host. For a little while, anyway. An important amount of time. And it's important to be a good host. For example, if you went to the Temple of Sekhmet, somewhere on the Nile, well, you would be treated well. Thousands of people attended her festivals. With much drinking of beer and wine and a little bit of mushroom brew to broaden your mental horizons. And because Sekhmet is the goddess of intoxication, once you were resting comfortably on the porch of drunkenness, that's a real place on the water. The palm trees and river rushes swaying in the breeze. Well, that's when the musicians arrived. Especially the drummers, long lines of temple musicians waking up the revelers with a wild musical score. Sekhmet, goddess of war with the head of a lioness. Goddess of healing who spares her people from the plague. While sending it in heavy waves upon those she has damned. Mistress of dread. Sekhmet, whose hot breath created the desert itself. Sekhmet, who we call with the simple name Great Great One. One. And the priestesses would chant out her prayer as she became one with the priestesses. And one with the drummers and one with the celebrants. I am she who cometh forth. I am yesterday, and I am the seer of millions of years. I am the power of the divine judge. I dwell in the east. I am the lady of eternity, the unveiled one. My name is created to defy all evil. I am the flame that shineth in the sanctuary. I am Sekhmet. How long has Sekhmet ruled over humanity? 
5,000 years. That's when she is first known to us, appearing in something like her current form in Upper Egypt, 2930 B.C., worshipped in her great temples until the coming of the Coptic Christians and then the followers of Allah when her cult went underground. But it never went away, and now it is her time again. These are the days of Sekhmet, when she destroys with the fire of the sun over the desert, when she drinks the Nile, when she covers the land with blood. flashing back. From December, when I was back in New Orleans, it was steamy out in the weeks before Christmas. Strange summer weather. Before that monster cold front of monster tornadoes reached Memphis and beyond. And I was doing what I do when I've got a day off. Walking around, walking the old part of town, the first city in my memory where I was born and raised. Stepping into bookstores, stepping into bars, walking the quiet streets by Esplanade. Where at... One point on a plague-silent French Quarter street of beautiful old homes, three men stepped out of a courtyard and into the heavy, humid atmosphere as daylight faded into dusk. They walked and stepped together, black suits, black overcoats, bowler hats, like riverboat card dealers or on-call morticians, tall men, silent like phantoms. I followed a half block behind them, and finally on Charter Street, they vanished into a sea of film crew workers. I kept walking through a sprinkle of raindrops, hard to tell where the air stops and the water begins. Stopped to have a drink at Harry's Corner next to three retired ladies drinking bottled beer, laughing and gossiping about the neighborhood. Now it was twilight and I can't figure out exactly where I was. Maybe along the back wall of the old convent. I wasn't at Jackson Square. The streets had not opened up like that. And there was a tarot card reader at a little table. I'd been thinking every time I saw a neon palm reader sign in another town, I should probably go see a fortune teller, a card reader, somebody with the second sight. She looked up at me, black hair and black eyeliner like an Egyptian priestess and held my eyes for what seemed like too long. 
her expression deeply serious. But she was reading for somebody else, three tarot cards facing up from the tablecloth. A tourist sitting there in my chair. I walked on down the street thinking I should probably go back once the other reading was done and then I got distracted. Where was I anyway? An hour later, walking through the garden district, looking at the Christmas lights, I realized I had not gone back to the card reader's spot, and I could not figure out where it was. In the morning, I was on the road again, driving through Mississippi, wondering if I had time to go to Tupelo. I've been back in the desert for nearly a month now, wondering what, if anything, would have happened had I not lost my way, lost my priorities. In that sliver of the French Quarter, where I've walked a thousand times... nice about coming to this part of the American desert is it's so green. <laughs> I know people don't say that when they get here from Chicago, but when you're where I'm from, when you're from the Mojave, this looks tropical. <laughs> I know there was a lot of monsoon rains and a lot of people's previously gravel backyards turned into jungles, but it's still a shock just to drive in and be surrounded by by green things, by Palo Verde trees, by cactus that you can see the green for miles, you know, it's... It can get sad out around Joshua Tree. You start to uh, you start to project your need for some sort of life forms on just about anything. You know, sometimes we get people weekenders out from L.A. and they'll get pretty excited over ragweed. You know, oh, it's very it's very precious how it survives in this harsh environment. 
It's a metaphor. So, if you've read the magazine, Desert Oracle magazine, there was uh, there was a piece that was written by by a guy from Sholo named uh, uh, Godfrey Daniels. He goes by the Deuce of Clubs. And he wrote this piece about Picacho Peak and how the interstate was straightened. There was a bend that kind of went around the old town and it, it erased the town pretty much. And so all the swinging places of the era, the there was a steakhouse, there was a band that played in the cocktail lounge, dancing nightly. We used to have a lot more fun. By then the interstate had to be straightened, and so it was straightened, and all the nice old businesses disappeared, and... Supposedly there wasn't much left of it. And I haven't been through there since reading the history of it, so I had a little extra time coming into town. I thought I'd go look. So I went and stopped at the state park. It's a beautiful state park, and the best part, I would think, for summer is at the peak. Shields the park from the sun after about you know, 4 or 5 p.m., so it was all peaceful and serene, and there were some people hiking and camping. And I thought, let's go see the town, see what happened to it. The only thing I could find open was a uh, like a sex shop, <laughs> and this was perplexing because there didn't seem to be anybody there other than some people doing healthy things like hiking. It didn't seem like they'd be in the market for. Whatever a sex shop sells in 2021. But there it was, like a little fortress on a hill. A, a fortress of, of freedom, I suppose. And there were two cars there. And I was thinking, that's got to be awkward. Because one works there. And the other person, I guess, was the shopper. And that was you, you know, no, no judgment. And it's just a little odd in that cracked asphalt parking lot in a place that, in times past, supposedly, was, was kind of swinging. Well, maybe it's swinging now. This is what happened. As I drove out on the little road there beside the interstate, I came across an enormous, luxurious RV park. About a third of a mile south of the sex shop, which is called Lion's Den, in case you want to check it out. It kind of goes with the park, you know, mountain lion, etc. And then as I was going by the RV park and looking at all these beautiful RVs, because, let's face it, baby boomers have a lot of money to spend on vehicles. And so they've got a lot of vehicles, and the vehicles they have are often very large and very comfortable. There are RVs with whole little setups outside, like 
a whole patio set from Lowe's and people talking and walking their little dogs and it just went on for miles. It was very clean and there's a there's a whole economy as you know people who come out here for the winter months the snowbirds and stay someplace nice and have kind of a vacation for life and then they go back somewhere else and they have boats I assume seaplanes there's the the sad other side of that coin kind of the nomad land thing of the people living in RVs because that's where they've got to live and working where they can Amazon fulfillment warehouses but this is kind of the nice one like the kind where they tow a new car behind the new RV and just as I started to pass it I remembered something very I guess disturbing it's disturbing especially because I, I don't have any special knowledge of it or anything I learned it off TikTok <laughs> you all know about this do you know about the pineapple thing all right. Well, this is this is going to be some information that, that could save you from a uh, uncomfortable uh, social situation. Apparently, the people in these RV parks have pineapple knickknacks, and when they get to their spot, they set up the pineapple knickknacks. Now, these might be pineapple Christmas lights, pineapple ceramic little statues. It means they're swingers in the RV park. So then I'm thinking... I bet that lion's den shop gets real busy after wine o'clock, you know? And maybe those RV parks are not kind of dismal places to wait out your last years. Maybe that's the only place people are having fun anymore. <laughs> You pull up in your 48-foot motorhome. You get your good space. You set up the Starlink and the direct TV and the patio furniture. And then you put out the pineapples. <laughs> and it's like a worm on a hook, I guess, you know? And you never know who it's going to be. Could be the nicest old couple. Looking like they're they're passing out church leaflets or something. But then the pineapple Christmas lights come on. And there's no lockdown anymore. But if you're interested in, in the desert flora and fauna, as many of us are out here. You might think, what if we did something a little more in tune with our environment, something that matched the bioregion, the ecoregion, localism, all that? 
instead of putting a prickly old uh, ceramic pineapple from Big Lots or whatever outside, you could put a little prickly bear cactus in a certain color pot. <laughs> I don't know what color. Maybe a pineapple color. Gold and green, something like that. Or maybe it could be an animal. You could get a peccary. Because a peccary is kind of spiky and uh, horny in a sense. But then you, then everybody would have to know about these things. And, it, and it's one of the, the educational missions we try to do at Desert Oracle. You got about 10,000 people a day moving to Arizona, and everything's confusing. It's, uh, there are black widows everywhere, scorpions and centipedes and rattlesnakes, and you can't go outside for six or seven months of the year. And if you could educate people about these things, you know, this is a peccary or a javelina. This is a bighorn sheep. This is a mountain lion. Uh, this is a sun spider. Those are fun. Then we'd have a language, a uh, sort of cultural language that, that we could use amongst ourselves. And we could use it for whatever reason. It doesn't have to be, you know, swinging in the RV. And then you wouldn't have situations like a video that, that was going around the last two weeks. And it was on Nextdoor. You all know what Nextdoor is? Nextdoor is like Facebook for people who want to stop uh, people from walking on their street. Is <laughs> basically Nextdoor. So this went out on Nextdoor in Tucson. And it's one of those door video cameras that everybody's got now so that they can watch the footage after they've watched everything else. And then they can see, like, a bug going by and then post that somewhere. I saw a UFO hovering outside my house. It was uncanny. It just shot up and disappeared. Or uh, spider webs. You see a lot of those. There's a spider web reflecting off the porch light in the, the morning dew. And they say, oh, the UFOs are, are shooting lasers at, at my house in, in Saguaro Ranch Phase 3, uh, a Dell Web company. It'd be nice to have a little a little more background information about such things. That way, when you actually saw something weird, you'd know. If it's a blimp, you'd know. If it's a bug, you'd know. And then if it was something truly weird, something that made no sense, something that did not look like anything that exists, the... The film director, uh, Guillermo del Toro, saw a UFO in the desert of Mexico. He and a buddy of his. And he was asked about it, and he said, 
it just kind of disgusted me because it was so poorly designed. <laughs> it looked like bad CGI. It looked like a cliche. And this is something true in the reports. There's something true when I, I saw my one close-up weird UFO. It looked fake. It looked like a layer that somebody put over the reality we live in. So once this gets out on the radio, there's a chance that certain people are going to start using Bakery's and Brinkley Pear as a sign that you're welcome to come in with your partner and you'll all go to the lion's den sex shop together. And it's really a way of building community. Isaacs and across the Great Mojave Wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio broadcasting from Joshua Tree. Last week I mentioned the Spanish language edition of Desert Oracle Volume 1 from Melusina Editions in Madrid. And this week I got some copies in the mail from my U.S. publisher. I feel like there was supposed to be a check in there, too. So I was flipping through the translated edition, and I got to the end where the Spanish publisher has placed its logo, which is an ancient woodcut of Melusina, Melusine. In this form, as mermaid twins sharing one tail. And I remembered... That Melusina, Lady of the Rivers, the Fairy Queen, the shape-shifting mermaid sorceress, etc. Is supposedly, I don't know, my my 20th great-grandmother? If you can believe the story of Elizabeth Woodville, my 16th great-grandmother, I think. Then it turns out historians do not believe... And this is the fact of the matter. But what do they know about mermaids anyway? The air is thick with spirits and men do not see them. Thanks to Red, Blue, Black, Silver for the soundscapes tonight. Including the one from our live show in Tucson at Club Congress. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to say your prayers to the segment. And good night from the voice of the desert. <laughs>